Amen. Okay, so we're going to, of course, continue in Exodus. And it has been a while since we've been in Exodus. We've had meetings, we've had budget discussions, we've had the Puerto Rico mission team present, we've had, we've had a lot going on the last couple of months for sure. And I think uh, once the budget vote you know, is done that Sunday, I think that'll be it for the year. We've had a lot of big things happen this year. It's a lot been going on. So since it's been a while since we've been in Exodus chapter 16, um, do you remember what has gone on so far? What's happening in the text? If you don't, it's fine, but I figured I'd give us the opportunity just to review. Anybody remember where we talked about last time? Bread from heaven. Bread from heaven, that's right. We talked about the manna. Okay, so Israel's released from Egypt already. We went through that. God uh, sent the plagues. God delivered them. God brought them across the Red Sea, destroyed the Egyptian army. Uh, and what we've seen as after those events, as Israel was uh, walking in the desert, basically toward Sinai, where God is bringing them, we've seen two, two times already that there's a grumbling spirit among them. They grumbled first about no water, remember? And then at the beginning of chapter 16, they were grumbling because there was no food. They, in fact, said it would have been better, Moses, if you never would have even brought us out of Egypt, but we would have died there. At least we wouldn't be hungry. You know, we had meat. We had sit around pots of food all the time. All that's in uh, chapter 16, verses 1 through 22. And God decided to test His people by giving them bread from heaven. Do you remember that when we talked about that? We don't often correlate the fact that the bread from heaven was a provision. It was God's grace upon them, but it was also a test. Do you remember in verses 4 and 5? Flip that slide for me, one slide. Maybe it'll wake this thing up. In verses 4 and 5, which we read last time we were here, and we went down to verse 21, it says, they're grumbling, there's no food, what are we going to do? Why did you lead us out here? The Lord said to Moses, Behold, I'm about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day, that I may test them. Do you see it? That I may test them, whether they will walk in my law or not. And then he says in verse 5, on the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So how, we talked about this last time, it, it may be too long for us to remember, but how was the bread from heaven, the manna from heaven, how was that a test for God's people? Huh? Right, they were only supposed to gather it one day at a time, and what was God trying to demonstrate to them and teach them in that? They have to trust God. They can't store it for the next day. That's our nature. And, and did they obediently just trust God? No, they, they test the fences. They, wanted to, they tried to keep some, and what happened to it when they kept it overnight? Yeah, molded, worms, maggots, you know, it was just, it stank, it said, and it was unedible. So in verses 14 through 21, which is the last section we looked at when we were in Exodus, 
they gathered the manna, they ate the manna, and for those five days of the first week that the manna was being given, that's really where we left off with the manna being given uh, each of the five days. They went out, they went out. And now as we begin the text tonight in verse 22, we're coming to the sixth day. And we come to what happens on the sixth day. And in verse 5, which we read last week, what did God command on the sixth day? Every sixth day. They would gather twice as much. And so we see that, of course, it's on the screen in verse 5. But before we read verse 22 and get into it, do we know why we would, they would gather twice as much on the sixth day? Because the Sabbath, right? Sabbath was a day of rest and there would be no manna given. Now, that's an easy answer for us. We know the answer to it. But the reality is that we're aware of it because all of us have read ahead to Exodus 20 where he commands to keep the Sabbath holy. What we often fail to realize is what we're about to read in verse 22 and following is the first Sabbath command in the whole Bible. Now, the pattern for the Sabbath was given at creation. So Genesis 1 and 2, uh, you, you see the pattern for the Sabbath. God created and He rested. But this, in Exodus 16, is the first place in the Hebrew Bible that any command is given to observe the Sabbath day. Now, there are, in all fairness, there are some theologians that, that walk through the life of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and, and Genesis, and they make the case that because it's God's pattern given at creation, that Abraham and the fathers did know about the Sabbath, and they did keep the Sabbath in some form, but there's nothing in the text of Genesis, nothing in the text of Exodus all the way up to this point that says they knew anything about it other than it was was God who rested on the, on the seventh day. But here is where God specifically commands them, you will set this day apart from now on. In verse 22, it says this, and we're picking up where we left off. For five days, they'd been gathering manna. They'd been eating the manna and you know, doing what God told them to do. And it says on the sixth day, this is the first week that the manna was given. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much bread two omers each, and when all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, he said to them, this is what the Lord has commanded. Now remember in verse 4 and 5, God was telling Moses what he was going to do. Here is Moses telling the people what God said he was going to do. This is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you'll bake and boil what you'll boil and all that is left over lay aside to be kept until morning. So they go out on the sixth day and they gather twice as much. They gather the twice as much manna as they did on every other day and they bring it back to Moses and say, Moses, there was twice as much manna out there and God told Moses what was going to happen but now Moses tells the people, this is why this is this way. Tomorrow is a solemn day of rest. It is a holy day that is dedicated to the Lord, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. And he says, so today on the sixth day, you cook it, you bake it, you do what you're going to do, and then you keep some left over for tomorrow because there will be none. He'll say that in a minute. There'll be none tomorrow. So what you're seeing here 
is what we talked about last time. God is, God is providing for their needs, providing for their survival and giving them bread from heaven, giving them manna to eat. He provided it you know, in the way that you know, they, would, um, they would need to, to uh, do what they need to do. But He also provides it in a way that they would need it provided in order to obey the command that God is giving them about keeping this day holy. They tell Moses that there's twice as much. Moses tells the congregation tomorrow, meaning the seventh day, is a day of solemn rest and it's a day that's holy to the Lord. The word Sabbath, you know what the word Sabbath means? It means, yeah, it means rest. It means to cease or desist, or stop, or rest. Uh, And so it's a day, excuse me, (coughs) it's a day given to mankind to rest. Now, that's a no-brainer for us. We've read all the, you know, we've read the Ten Commandments. We've read all of the rest of the Hebrew Bible about the Sabbath and the day of rest. And we, we've read in the New Testament about uh, setting this day aside. It's a day is fulfilled. Sabbath is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. But there is a day. And, and we, we've read all that. We're going to read some more tonight. But this, you need to understand how strange this would be. So even if some of those theologians we talked about are right and the Sabbath was uh, something that was observed during the times of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, although there's nothing in the text, but it's possible. So even if it was, you need to understand that at this point, there's no other culture on earth that has set aside a day just for rest. And these Israelites who were born in bondage, remember it's 430 years in bondage, none of them have never, have never known anything other than slavery in Egypt. They didn't have a day of rest. Pharaoh didn't give them a day just to rest and, and do nothing. They were working all the time. So no one of this generation ever lived like this, this day of rest. But it isn't just a day of rest, is it? What else does he say about this day? What's it supposed to be? supposed to be set apart. It's supposed to be holy to the Lord. Isn't that what holy means? Set apart? Set apart for the Lord. A day that is given to the Lord. The Creator set a day apart Himself when He made it holy by Himself, resting from the creating. And this is the pattern for His people, for all those who are in His image to follow. Now, there's a lot of discussion about the Sabbath observance and whether it's binding for Christians to keep today, um, there's something that we should notice as we start to talk about this. We're going to try to answer those questions tonight. But this Sabbath command in Exodus chapter 16, verse 22-23, this, this predates the law of Moses. This is before Sinai. It's before God gave the Ten Commandments. It's before God gave... Uh, the law of Moses that would identify these people as the covenant people. So I take it to mean it's not just for national Israel. It is a, a command given that is based upon a creation ordinance, and it's a matter of right and wrong. It's a pattern for all of those who are created in His image. So when we get to Exodus 20... They already have been given the command before they ever got to Sinai about keeping, about the Sabbath day and keeping it as a holy Sabbath to the Lord. And so that's why when you finally get to the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20 at Mount Sinai, what's the commandment regarding the Sabbath? To remember it. 
See, the command had already been given. So the command was not just keep the Sabbath holy, it's to remember the Sabbath and to keep it holy. They'd already been told about the Sabbath uh, in the wilderness wanderings on the way to Sinai. Everybody with me? Questions, comments, cries of outrage? Okay. So as we're talking about this, the observance of this command of God, I know that you have a question right here. Okay? It's a lot of discussion about whether it's binding for Christians to keep it and why is it the seventh day and why do we have church on the first day? So to answer all those questions, let me say, just hold on, we'll get to that in a minute. (laughs) First thing I want you to see as we walk through this is remember they had never lived like this. This was a new concept. It was a new pattern. It was a new rhythm of life for them. So God, in His mercy, is His grace. He Himself taught them how to keep the Sabbath by the way that He gave them the manna from heaven. You see it? Verse 24, it says this, So they laid it aside till morning. They went out, they gathered twice as much. They came, Moses, there's twice as much. Moses said, tomorrow's a holy day, so you just keep it and cook it and you know, eat it tomorrow. So they did that. They laid it aside till morning as Moses commanded them, and it did not stink, and there were no worms in it. Moses said, eat it today, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, which is a Sabbath, there will be none. Do you see how God's teaching them to observe the Sabbath? Six days God would give them manna. And on the sixth day, He would give them double portions of manna, but God would not provide it for them on the seventh day. Which means God is is by the way He is giving them provision, He is... I don't want to say making them, but he's, he's training them of what it is like to live according to this rhythm. Six days of working and a day of rest. Even if you go out into the, into the field and look for the manna, which some will do here in just a minute, there's not going to be any out there. So they couldn't gather it even if they wanted to. Um, none was given on the seventh day. So by the way that God gave the manna to the people, God is teaching them to observe this Sabbath duty. God is providing for them so they could observe it. Every other day, what happened if they kept it overnight? Worms and stank and all that kind of stuff, but not on the sixth day. When they kept it on the sixth day over to the seventh day, it was fine. It was edible. There were no worms in it. It did not stink. God is miraculously preserving it on that one day so that they would be able to observe the command that He'd given them to keep the next day holy. You see that? Questions, comments? Well, you know how us humans are, so what's going to happen next? We mess up. That's exactly right, Linda. We going to mess up. We always have to test the fences. Always. We always have to do things our own way, and that's exactly what happens. Moses just told them, don't go out there. There ain't none out there. Verse 27 says, On the seventh day, not all the people, but some of the people went out to gather, but they found none. And the Lord said to Moses, How long will you refuse? You is plural there, so he's talking about the nation. You refuse to keep my commandments and my law. 
So not all the people, but there are some who don't take God at His word. You know, there's manna out there. Let's go get it. They don't trust what God said is going to come to pass or what God said is true. They go out looking for the manna, even though God told them He wasn't going to give them any on that day. And of course, God is faithful to His word. There is no manna out there to be found. But look what the Lord says in response. He says to Moses, because Moses is the figurehead of Israel, He says, how long will you, plural, the nation, how long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? You know, this is almost, uh, with some differences, it's almost the same words that God spoke through Moses to Pharaoh in his rebellion. Back in Exodus chapter 10, verse 3, Moses and Aaron go in to Pharaoh and said, Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, how long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? So them going out to see if there is manna out there, trying to gather manna out there, we get the impression when we read it that they're just like, well, let's just, let's just take a walk out there and just see. You know, Let's take a peek and see if it really is the way God's... You know, this is not what this is. This is rebellion against the command of God. He gives them the same, uh, the same uh, what is it, uh, admonition as he gave Pharaoh. How long are you going to keep doing this? How long are you going to refuse to obey my commands, he says to the Israelites. How long you have refused to humble yourself before me, he says to Pharaoh. This is rebellion against the command of God. This was something that was very serious. Some were still not trusting God. But like a good father... What he does next is explain through Moses that the Sabbath is, it's a gift for you. It's a gift for them. It's not just a command, not just a rule to keep. It is that, of course, but it's a gift. And so in verse 29 or on 27, it says they tried to go out. Wasn't none out there. God said, how long will you you refuse to keep my laws? And it says, and this is Moses speaking to the people. Notice the pronoun change. It says, let me back up. You see it? How long? This is the Lord said to Moses, How long will you refuse to keep my laws? And this is Moses speaking, I think, saying, See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath, therefore on the sixth day he gives you bread for two days. Remain each of you in his place. Let no one go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. So, He says, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. It is a gift from God for our blessing. And this is why He gives the double portion of manna on the sixth day. It's for your good. So that the seventh day, not only are you commanded not to go out and gather manna, but it is a day of rest and a gift for you that you don't have to go out and to gather manna. It is a gift from God. The Sabbath is a gift from God. This is the same thing that Jesus taught in Mark chapter 2. You remember when the disciples raised the controversy because they were picking grain on the Sabbath and rubbing it in their hands and eating the kernels and uh, Pharisees and the the Jewish leaders were like, look at your disciples, they're breaking the Sabbath, They're, they're processing food on the Sabbath, which is completely ridiculous. They're just doing what you do when you're hungry. Jesus told them then, He said, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. It's supposed to be a gift, not a burden. But man turns it into a burden. 
It's this verse right here where Moses tells them to remain each of you in his place. Let no one go out of his place on the seventh day. It's this verse here that was later used by Jewish theologians and Jewish scribes and interpreters to say that you weren't allowed to walk so far from your home uh, on the Sabbath. You weren't allowed to, you know, they had, most of you guys have probably heard many of the intricate little things that they, you can't, you know, pick up something on the Sabbath and bring it so far. I mean, they had all of these laws that, that had come from just this simple command of God. Keep it holy and rest on that day and keep it holy to the Lord. That is the whole command of God regarding the Sabbath. But man is so good at just adding all of these little things that you have to do in order to, to do um, in order to do what God what they say God has called us to do on the Sabbath. So there's nothing in this verse that, that limits the amount of steps you can take on the Sabbath or the things you can carry on the Sabbath. Moses' intent is not saying you must stay in your home. We're locking you in for the Sabbath so you don't break this command. His intent was just restricting the gathering of manna. He, he, he's, saying, he's saying you don't have to do, you can rest. You can rest on the Sabbath day. You don't even have to come out of your tent. Now, there's two ditches that we fall into when it comes to the Sabbath. Are you all with me? Everybody's quiet. Should I ask more questions? Okay. Two ditches when it deals with the Sabbath laws. First is that we just make light of it and say it don't matter anymore. We can just do whatever we want, whenever we want, making this day, Sabbath day, the day that's holy to the Lord, make it just another day. You know, it's no different than the rest of the days. That's one ditch that we don't need to fall into. We can't fall into. The other ditch is to make it so, is to legalistically set so many boundaries on everything that's allowed and not allowed on the Sabbath that when you fall into that ditch, the Sabbath is not a gift anymore, it's tyranny. It's a burden over you. It becomes a, you know, if I enjoy cutting my grass on the Sabbath and you tell me I can't, you know, that's a burden because I have to cut it on, you know, on Monday. So the command of God for the Sabbath, and we'll see this as we get to Exodus 20, is that we, we keep it a holy day to the Lord, a day of rest, a day of worship, and, and, and that's it. That's what He commanded. All of the, you can't do this, you can't do that, you can't do this, you must do this, all that came from, all that came from mankind, all that came from the Jews. Through It's intended for our blessing, it's intended for our good. The commandment is to remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Keep it set apart for the Lord. Men added all those other regulations. Questions, comments? Okay, y'all making me nervous now. So the main blessing of the Sabbath is rest, but it's not the only blessing of the Sabbath. It's not just resting from your working, it's resting in the worship and the mercy of God. It's, it's worship. It is a resting in the worship of God, dedicating that day to the Lord in everything that you do. You do it as unto the Lord on that day. It's resting in your relationship with God. It's honoring and acknowledging the rest that we have in knowing God. It's what it means to keep the day holy to the Lord. So it's clear from the New Testament that the early church began worshiping on the first day of the week rather than the seventh. We see that in Acts, we see it in 1 Corinthians, we see it in, in several places. And, and they don't ever call Sunday the Sabbath, they call it the Lord's Day several times through the New Testament. 
So the question that I know is on everybody's mind is, how do we know that this is what God's will is? How do we know that Sunday is the day or some day during the week and it doesn't have to be necessarily the seventh day of the week set aside for observance and worship and rest and those things? Anybody want to hazard an answer? Come on, don't be shy. Huh? What? Yeah, let no one go out of his place on the seventh day, so the people rested on the seventh day. Absolutely. So are we, uh, are we as Christians, as believers in Christ and followers of Christ, sinning when we worship on Sunday? And we set, you know, most people set Sunday aside as a day? Okay. Why? Yeah, that's true. Should worship God every day. All right, I'm going to give you the answer. And then you can tell me, we can debate the answer. So the answer is this. There's two lines of evidence, really, that, that work their way through the New Testament from the apostles, the inspired apostles, as they interpret the verses dealing with the Sabbath from the Old Testament. First, you need to realize this is not the total answer. This is the first part. First part is you need to recognize that Jesus himself is our Sabbath rest. He is the fulfillment of the Sabbath. I don't just get that from my own thinking. I get it from Hebrews where he talks about the rest of entering the land and the Sabbath rest. And it says in verses 9 through 11 of Hebrews chapter 4, he says, So then there remains a Sabbath rest. He's talking to the Hebrew Christians and he says, There's still a Sabbath rest that you haven't got yet. And he says, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God, for whoever has entered into God's rest, and this is how he defines that Sabbath rest, has also rested from his works as God did from his in creation. When he talks about resting from your works, what is he talking about? Is he talking about just on a Sunday or on a Saturday? He's talking about coming to Christ and resting from your works and salvation. And then he tells the, the Hebrews, the Hebrew, Hebrew Christians there, let us strive to enter into that rest. So he's distinguishing the, just the normal Jewish Sabbath, the normal Jewish day of rest and all the things that go along with that, with Jesus Christ, the fulfillment of that rest, saying there, there is a Sabbath that, that still remains to be had. It's Christ. Let us strive to enter into that rest. So Jesus is the fulfillment. Um, one day of the week uh, of rest and making it holy to the Lord points us to the true fulfillment of the Sabbath rest, which is Jesus Christ and His salvation, where we rest from our works and trying to be right with God. We cease from striving to earn merit before God and rest in the grace of the gospel. The Sabbath is perfectly fulfilled in Christ. But there is also a reality that there still needs to be a day in seven where we rest and we, we dedicate that day uh, to God because of the gift of the Sabbath and the creation ordinance. And that day does not have to be the seventh day because, and this is why, the Jewish writers of the New Testament, Paul specifically, uh, he wrote in Colossians and in Romans these verses. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 16, 
the whole issue was coming up about the days and the feasts and all those things. He says, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon, look at it, or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. So we're not to judge regarding specific days, specific feasts, specific festivals and those things. All of those things point to Christ. And then he says, more particularly in Romans 14, he says, Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld for the Lord is able to make him stand. He says, One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. So some have church on Sunday morning. There are some churches that don't, that don't have a building and has to has to use one, have church on Sunday afternoon. Some have, some have church on Saturday. The principle is that one day in seven is set aside for rest and worship and holy to the Lord as we are, are rejuvenated for the, the next work week. It is a gift of God, knowing that it is not a legalistic duty. God's going to smite you if you don't do exactly what you're supposed to do on the Sabbath, because the ultimate fulfillment of the Sabbath is Jesus Christ. Okay? Now we got some cries of outrage. Anybody want a question, comment, anything? What? Some people don't have Saturday off. No. The I the idea now the early church met on they call it Kurios Hermetis, the day of the Lord. That's what the day the, the Lord's day is what they call it. They call it through the old the New Testament. In 1 Corinthians, Paul's talking to Corinthians about the collection, and he says, When you gather on the first day of the week. And then in Acts, we've seen it. Uh, when, when Eutychus, when the church there in Troas was gathered together, it was on the first day of the week that the church was gathered together to do the Lord's Supper, to break bread with one another, and that's when Eutychus falls out the window. And I, I believe that the church adopted this pattern, of course, in commemoration for the resurrection, but also the resurrection happened, of course, on a Sunday, but also the two appearances of Christ the following weeks to His disciples uh, were on Sunday. They were on the first day of the week, the two appearances. And so the early church adopted that day as the day of the worship. Now, you know as well as I do, we've walked through Acts as we're walking through it on Sunday mornings. The, the Jewish Christians still went to the temple on the Sabbath. They still prayed in the temple. I don't believe they offered sacrifice anymore as far as animals, but they still went to the temple on those days. But they set aside the Lord's Day as holy to the Lord, where they gathered together, where they took the Lord's Supper, where they, uh, where they preached, where they sang, where they had all of their, their, uh, their worship. So it was, it was commemorated because of the resurrection in, of Jesus Christ, the final stage of God's redemptive plan. In the beginning, the Sabbath day, the seventh day, commemorated creation, and God's work in creation is rest in creation. After the Exodus, from here on out in the rest of the Old Testament, 
the Sabbath day and Passover in particular are going to commemorate the Exodus. You know, it was a new phase in God's redemptive plan. And then the coming of Christ and the resurrection of Christ initiated that final phase in the, uh, well, I shouldn't say the final phase. He's going to come again, but you understand what I mean. And that's why the early church from the apostles age on commemorated Sunday as the day of worship dedicated to the Lord. Is it wrong for a church down the road or some, you know, a home church or whatever to, to say we're going to worship on Saturday, we're going to sit Saturday. Is it wrong to do that? No. No, it's not wrong to do that. Questions, comments, cries of outrage? I figured I was going to get a lot more outrage than I'm getting. Y'all are doing okay, I guess. So what we're seeing here, this is, we're talking about manna and we're talking about God's provision But God specifically provides this manna, one, to provide for His people, to give them food as they're going to, they don't know it yet, but they're going to be wandering for 40 years. Um, He gives them food specifically for their provision, but it was also to teach them how to live according to the rhythms of life that God had prescribed for His covenant people. The way that the manna was given forced them to see the Sabbath as a different day, a day different from the rest. Because six days, manna's given, no manna's given on the seventh day. Twice as much on the sixth day, you got to gather twice as much, and that's how you will eat on the Sabbath day. What happens if a guy decides, you know what, I'm only going to gather the regular amount on the sixth day? What happens? He goes hungry on the seventh day because there ain't no manna coming. Okay, y'all with me? Okay. Back to Exodus. Then he describes the manna. He says, now the house of Israel called its name manna. You remember what manna means? What is yeah, what is it? That's, that's, that, the Hebrew term, when it says the Hebrews went out and they said, what is it? That's earlier in the text we read last week. That word in Hebrew is manna. And here it's the same word, manna. It means what is it? They named it manna. It was like coriander seed, which I have no idea what that is. It was white, and the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. Mm-mm. That's good, isn't it? You know what I've found? I've found when you're hungry, all kind of stuff tastes good. I'm on, I don't eat vegetables ever, but I'm on this diet for the last three weeks, and when all you can have is vegetables and you're hungry, you're like, man, these are some good vegetables. They taste very, very good. So he... The, the, the manna is described for us as these wafers, and it tasted like wafers made with, with honey, so it was sweet to the taste. And then he says, um, he gives this another purpose. It was to serve as a memorial. He said, Moses said, this is what the Lord has commanded. Let an omer of it be kept throughout your generations so that they may see the bread with which I fed you in the wilderness when I brought you out of the land of Egypt. And Moses said to Aaron, take a jar and put an omer of manna in it and place it before the Lord. Later, they're going to place it into the Ark of the Covenant uh, to be kept throughout your generations. As the Lord commanded Moses, so Aaron placed it before the testimony to be kept. So just like, I know it's been a long time, so I'm referencing things that you may not remember, but we talked about the Passover feast, 
We talked about the consecrating of the firstborn, that ritual. We talked about the other feasts. And in all of them, God says, these are going to be a commemoration, a remembrance of what I did for you, of what I did during the, the, the Exodus and how uh, your firstborn sons belong to me because uh, I spared them the night of the Passover and all of those things. And here, God does the same thing with the manna. He's commanding a remembrance. Some of the manna was to be kept, a remembrance of what God had done, how He provided for their needs, and used to use it to show them how to live according to His as His covenant people. It would be a symbol, a symbol reminding them of all that God had done to provide for their needs. And this manna wasn't just a one-time thing. It wasn't just for this week and then you know, it's going away. God actually provided this manna for them for 40 years. It says the people of Israel ate manna 40 years till they came to a habitable land. They ate the manna till they came to the border of the land of Canaan. And it tells us there at the end, kind of a footnote, that an omer is a tenth part of an if if that helps you any. So, yeah, I don't, yeah, there's, you can look up what those things are, but I don't know it off the top of my head. Um, so this is just kind of a, this is Moses' little note. You know, the people don't know yet that they're going to be wandering 40 years. They think it's a short trip to Canaan. They're going down to Sinai, then they're going straight to Canaan. But you know what happens at the, at the edge of the land. They fail to trust God. Only two of the 12 spies want to go in and God turns them around, sends them to the wilderness. But even in that judgment, God kept on giving them manna from heaven for the entire 40 years. He was providing for His people. And so we see in this the manna that we talk about here in Exodus, we see that it's not just, hey, it's a, it's a cool miracle. You know, God just rained down heaven front to, to them and provided for their needs. And I mean, God's just awesome. He's great. And he, he get, it was a provision for them to live. Of course, it was their daily bread. But it was also training them to live for him in the way that he has commanded them to live keeping one day holy, keeping one day separated for Him. And most importantly for us, and the Hebrew authors of the Scriptures of the New Testament um, see this as a foreshadow of Christ. Jesus Himself even saw it as a foreshadow of Christ. You remember what He said as he, uh, they, they clamored for more bread and fish? What did He say to them? He said that I'm the bread that comes out of heaven. The bread that comes out of heaven is the Son of Man. You know, is given to you and you must eat of my flesh. You must drink of my blood. Jesus is the true bread of heaven. And, and Jesus is our true Sabbath rest. And so even here at the dawn of the nation of Israel, coming out of Egypt, about to be... Uh, I mean, they're already the nation of Israel, but you know what I mean. They're about to be consecrated as the people of God at Mount Sinai, when He gives them the covenant, gives them the law of Moses, even here in the dawn of this nation as the people of God, God shows them the fulfillment. He shows us the fulfillment of all that Jesus is to us in the works that He'd done. In the Passover, we saw it, the lamb, the blood on the doorpost. In the consecration of the firstborn sons, that we're consecrated by the blood and we're given to the Lord through the blood of the Lamb. In the feasts and the festivals that all point to Jesus, and we'll talk about those more when we start talking about in-depth those feasts and festivals. 
And then here in the manna, He is the bread of heaven. He is the Sabbath rest. All of these things, these Old Testament stories that we read, they're not just Bible stories to tell us what happened, although they did happen and they are historical. They all point to Jesus Christ and who He is in our lives. He is our Sabbath. He is our bread from heaven. He is uh, what we feast upon. And it shows us the works that He has done to bring us into the covenant with God that He commemorated by His blood. That's all I got. Questions? Comments? They probably. Did they kill? I don't know. I don't know right off the top of my head. She asked if they killed a cow or a sheep once in a while. I'm sure they did. The, up to this point, remember, their, their food supply was running low, and that's why they were complaining that they were hungry and that there was no way. But if you look in the next chapter, I think, or may, yeah, in chapter 23, it's, they're going to talk about uh, they're going to have no water again, and then they're going to go through all that again, but they're not going to have water for their cattle and for all their stuff. So they still have cattle and they still have animals uh, as uh, the manna from heaven is given. And we talked about that last week since we know that they still have herds because the next chapter they're going to say our herds don't have water and all that kind of stuff. Um, when they're grumbling about not having food, it wasn't a real crisis in the sense of we're starving and what are we going to do? It was they saw their food supply dwindling and they just turned on Moses and started saying, what are you going to do? Why did you bring us out here to die? Good question. Any other questions? Huh. If that's tough, I just want to warn you, like once we get past the Ten Commandments, like, we're going to be talking about the tabernacle for a long time. That's going to be some rough lessons, but we're, we're, they all point to Jesus, so it's going, to, it's going to do well. All right, well, let's pray and we'll be dismissed. Father, we do love you. We thank you for, uh, for who you are. We thank you for the blessing that we have. We thank you, God, for the gift of the Sabbath that we, um, that we need it. It's a blessing to us. It's a benefit for us. God, we thank you for uh, that gift. And we thank you most of all that the fulfillment of the, uh, the ultimate Sabbath, the ultimate rest from our works has been given in your Son. And God, we just rejoice in that gift. We rejoice in the provision of the daily bread that you provide. We, we rejoice in the bread from heaven that satisfies our wants and our needs and all that we are before you. God, we pray that you would just help us continue as we're walking through your word, that you would help us to see Jesus through all of these things, that you would show us the fulfillment of all the things that uh, uh, all the prophets longed to look into but did not see. God, we thank you so much for, um, for, for the blessing of the gospel. And God, help us to hold fast to it. Help us to, help us to desire you more than anything. We do love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.